0: The feeling when you're flying a plane is like the feeling when you turn 16 and get your driver's license and your parents let you take the car and you're like, the world is mine. I'm going to explore.
1: Well, welcome to Beyond High Street. My name is Jenny Derrick and I'm the Dean of the Farmer School of Business here at Miami University. So today I'm joined by Lori Kaiser, who graduated with a BS in accounting back in 1985. <laughs> Not too many Hi, years ago. <laughs> Great to see you again, Laurie. And thank you for agreeing to be on the podcast Beyond High Street. So, during this podcast, what we do, as you know, is we weave through different topics, a range of topics, so our listeners can get to know you, a little bit about your journey, your reflections along the way, and, and just have a bit of fun with it too. So, I want to begin with perhaps the most important question I should ask you this afternoon Why did you choose the farmer school?
0: So, I chose the farmer school. The- pretty much mentally the day I went with my high school boyfriend to pick up his sister from Miami. It wasn't really on my list of schools, um, but I drove in and it was so beautiful that I got home and I started to do my research on Miami. I was like, I can see myself walking around that campus.
1: So did the boyfriend stay around?
0: Nope. (laughs) my <laughs> boyfriend was history the school <laughs> stayed in my heart forever
1: good 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 answer so when I looked at your LinkedIn profile I, I know you've had a really interesting career and you went from your accountancy degree you moved on into audit uh, with KPMG and then you set up your own consulting firm and you've done a few other things along the way so tell us about your journey I'd love to hear more about it
0: yeah so I started out with a public accounting firm a big four public accounting firm, like a lot of people out of Miami. Um, when I joined KPMG, I thought that I was gonna, you know, move up the ranks, senior manager, partner. Um, but somewhere along the line, I decided that I needed to start my family before that was, you know, past the prime of that stage of my life. And I was home on maternity leave, thinking about going back to work, and I just wasn't really excited about it. I traveled more than fifty percent of the time, and I also worked a lot of 60, 70 hour weeks and I just couldn't imagine being able to be a good mom and also, you know, keep that job. So it was a little bit of a gut wrenching decision to leave KPMG um, because I still loved it, but I I needed to move beyond to the next thing. So I left and um, decided I was going to figure out a new plan. And within about six weeks, I had clients calling me up. And they said, you know, hey, we have some project work out here. We know you, you know us, Um, we think it will be great. And they were very flexible about letting me work the days and hours that would fit, you know, being a new mom. And so I did that. And then quickly within six to nine months, I had more work than I could do myself. So I reached out to neighbors who had accounting degrees. I reached out to former colleagues, people that I knew that had great skill sets that were staying at home.
1: And what I love about your know, you know when you talk about the company you set up and i I read you know part-time flexible work hours was a really big part of what you wanted to do obviously because you became a mum yourself but talk to me about about that too because you? Know, why you know, I, I think it was in response to your own circumstance, but as you think about what you did, you were quite revolutionary, I think, at the time when you set up an organization that really allowed people to mix families and, and work. So tell me more about that and some of the successes you've had with that model as well. Sure,
0: yeah, so my clients said to me, you can work the days and hours that fit your life. And I wanted to offer that same flexibility to my team members. And so really what happens is when someone comes on board, They get to work what we call their optimum schedule. If you could pick the schedule that works for you, um, why wouldn't people come, be excited about their work and stay?
1: It's it's really interesting. I want to take this next question in two parts. I want to start with what companies are doing, what what trends you've seen. I'll come back to the question and then think about post-COVID. So if I start with the first question, you you were quite a trailblazer in what you did, but how have you seen the workplace change, especially... Not just for women having children, but also men having baby, you know, with babies as well, wanting some work-life balance and some flexibility. How have you seen work practices change over the years?
0: Yeah, so when I started my business, we didn't even have the internet. We were showing up working, bringing work home, communicating um, via phone with people. So it was much more challenging to work part-time flexible schedules when I started in the early 90s. Um, Fast forward to today, we have the internet, we have Zoom, we have all sorts of tools that make it easier to do what I'm doing, what we started doing then to do it now.
1: Well, you said something before about your optimum schedule. So what I want to do is pivot to what we're trying, we're grappling with now as employers. You know, As we come out of a post-COVID world, we're doing what you were doing all the time. You've been running a consulting business, but and we're trying to figure out what to do. We're actually this week trying to determine our policy for the farmers' school with respect to how we want staff to work. So what advice would you give me and any of us listening to the podcast about you know, what should the future world of work look like and what should we pay attention to as we're coming up with policies that make sense?
0: Well, I maintain companies are going to be most successful if they have the best talent. And in order to retain the best talent right now, you basically need to figure out what you can do to make it the place where people want to stay, because people now have lots of choices, right? They can work for your organization, or they can work remotely for hundreds or thousands of other companies. So I maintain that what you need to do is you need to find out what works for the individual. So you ask them what is gonna work for you to make work work in your family and in your life. And then, but before you actually do that, you have to make sure that it's a safe space. You have to make sure that you're authentic, that people are, um, that your team members are gonna believe that they're not gonna be penalized for telling you what they need and that you're gonna do everything within your power to make it work. Um, I do believe though that you have to have meat in the middle ground. your team members are going to come to you and tell you what they need in their life. And you're going to have to come back and say, well, maybe three quarters of that work, but there's this one point that doesn't work for us, our company or our clients. And, you know, what can we do? So I think it's a back and forth uh, to coming to some middle ground that not only works for your team members, but also works for the company.
1: And I think what I hear a lot when I'm talking to people about this work from home and the future of work is how do we build culture and community when people are not necessarily in the office? So can you speak to that a little bit, please?
0: Yeah, since we've, um, our people come on board and get a few days of onboarding and immediately go to work for the client. This was pre-pandemic. So they would be more on the client side than they would be in our organization. And the things that a lot of companies do, you know, potlucks and and cooler talk and um, lunchtime trainings, you know, those don't really work when people are working out at other places. So we always worked really hard to have um, engagement events, both internal training where we're investing in, you know, them as professionals and the skill sets, both soft and technical skill sets that they need to grow, but also social events, right? And so when COVID came, both of those things were taken away. So, you know, we tried to pivot to, you know, online training, online social events and engagements. Um, We did the best we could, but I still don't think that's a replacement for um, real in person events.
1: It's finding a balance, I think, too. So I'm going to take you for a trip down memory lane now and look back at your time at Miami. I've got a, a, a sort of rapid-fire bunch of questions just to get to know more about your time the, at Miami. So, so who was your favorite professor when you are at Miami?
0: Oh, I, I can't even answer that question.
1: Was there a fav- maybe a favorite course? Do it that way.
0: Oh, yeah. I actually liked uh, Professor Cummins. And his financial reporting classes, I was always amazed he wrote on the chalkboard like it was graphic art. And then he would finish up with about 30 seconds before the, the end of the class and the bell rang and lay down the chalk.
1: <laughs> I just got to that end point. <laughs> Don't you love it when they can time a class like that? <laughs> what about your least favorite subject? What was that?
0: uh organic chemistry
1: (laughs) nothing more needs to needs to be said what co-curricular activities were you involved in while you were at at university
0: Uh, well I was a sorority I'll put a little plug in for the alpha fees um that was fun I got to meet you know people from all walks of life um and then I was also involved in student government. I was my freshman dorm president. So that gave me a really interesting exposure to people in all levels and you know, all over campus.
1: That's good. I love it. What was your favorite time of the day to go to class? Were you a morning person, a midday person, an evening person?
0: I was a morning person. I like to back my classes up 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 and be done for the day. Study in the afternoon.
1: I like that. What was your favorite night of the week while you're at Miami?
0: Oh, Thursday night.
1: (laughs) Why is that, Laurie?
0: I like to uh, have a few beverages on Thursday
1: (laughs) night. Right. Did you intern at all while you're at Miami?
0: I did. I interned at KPMG.
1: For just one summer or two?
0: Just one summer. When I was at Miami, we would intern in junior year, take the whole semester off from... January to May, and then come back in the summer and make up the coursework and then graduate on time.
1: That's really interesting. I, I didn't realize we did that back back in the day. That's really good. I'm gonna follow up with that, you on that one. <laughs> I'm gonna follow up with you on that one because that's a really good model. Really good model. Where did you live in your freshman year?
0: I lived in East Quad, Dorsey.
1: Do you remember the room I, number?
0: Uh, no, I don't remember the room number. I was in one West corridor though. And then I also had the pleasure of living in East Quad. Uh, My second year, I was an RA in Sims.
1: Very good, and then you moved off campus after that?
0: Well, my junior year, I lived in Ogden. Um, Back then, if you interned, you could get out of your Miami housing for a, you know, a school sponsored internship. But if you lived off campus in an apartment, you were still obligated for the lease for the whole year. So that wasn't a good fit with uh, interning.
1: And did you live off campus at all?
0: I lived off campus my senior year in new house apartments.
1: Oh, okay. Have you ever driven past to have a look at them again?
0: They're still there and they look (laughs) pretty much the same. Same. Kind of run down.
1: (laughs) Probably true. (laughs) What's your favorite building on campus?
0: Oh, probably up them. I love the arch. Yeah, you know, It's classic. Um, it looks old, but it has a warm old feeling versus a warm, you know, like a rundown old feeling. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's lovely. What's your favorite spot uptown? Where did you used to hang out uptown? I like the red steps.
0: I liked getting a bagel and mm. sitting on the red steps and just watching everybody walk
1: by. And for the people who are listening, you did mention to me at the start of the call before we hit record that Skippers was just being built when you were a student. So tell us a little bit about your your relationship with Skippers. Did you, when did it open?
0: Skippers opened my sophomore year and it was a hit from the moment they opened. Uh, And in the first year, they didn't even have a liquor license. So, but they had amazing gyro and cheese fries and we didn't have a lot of uptown eating options. So even without alcohol it was popular in the beginning
1: And they seem to be always busy now so where was your favorite place to eat when you were at Miami
0: there weren't a whole lot of options back then um, and I don't remember having a lot of money so my my most frequent was getting a bagel at bagel and deli
1: what well, do you remember the flavor that you used to get which one did you buy
0: well, for breakfast, I would get the cinnamon raisin bagel with cream cheese. And for dinner, I had a, a revolving many options.
1: When you come back to Oxford, do you ever go back to Bagel and jelly for all time's sake?
0: Of course. In fact, uh, a funny story. So in 2019, I gave the commencement address for Farmer. And I mentioned in my speech that I when I was driving down to Miami I would get excited about basically how many times could I squeeze in how many trips to the bagel and deli and immediately after graduation the graduation ceremony I went uptown and I'm standing in line to get my bagel and there were several people that were at the commencement address and they basically told the owners And they gave me a free bagel. So that really (laughs) made
1: my day. As they should, because you were promoting it for them. (laughs) What's your most memorable (laughs) personal experience while you were at Miami? I would say
0: I really got over my nervousness about going in and talking to professors. You know, my freshman year, I didn't want to, but I knew I needed to. And by senior year what I loved was I totally made a transformation from being nervous about doing it and feeling like it was something I just had to do. So they knew me to feeling like it was an opportunity. I could tap into them, talk to them about, you know, their experiences outside of Miami um, and get advice. You know, they, they turned into advisors for me.
1: I'm so looking forward to being back fully in full, because I hear what you're saying from many of our students that they just love that interaction with our faculty. And, and of course, we haven't seen as much of that face-to-face as we would have normally seen. So I can't wait to see the building flourishing as it should be soon, very soon. So when you look back at, on any part of your time at Miami, is there anything you would have done differently?
0: Well, um, my, the summer after my junior year, I stayed for summer school. And it was really a magical experience because I think what happened for me is I made friends my freshman year and I kind of hung out with that same group all four years. But what was super magical about the summer was my friends weren't there and I made all new friends. And so I think if I had to do it over again, I would spend another summer in Oxford.
1: That's really nice. I like that. It's a, it's a lovely year in summer. Gosh, it really is. We're really enjoying it. Is there a class that you wish you'd taken? Um, well,
0: in hindsight, I wish I would have broadened myself with other business, higher level other business classes. Um, Because when I started my own business, I knew a lot about accounting, but I didn't know as much as I needed to know about marketing and contracts and um, IT and managing people and HR issues. Um, And I think the reason most small businesses fail is because the founder is passionate about their product or service, but they really don't understand the myriad of other things they need to be good at in order to be successful.
1: I think that's such important advice for our listeners, especially students, just to be able to look across the organization and understand all parts, I think is really important. So I know that you split your time between Columbus, I think, and Florida, and you were saying before we went live or recorded, St. Petersburg more specifically, and you fly between these two locations, I, I believe. So tell me a little a bit about you know, your interest in getting a pilot's license, what plane you fly, and, and perhaps share with the listeners some of your Most favorite flying stories that you have?
0: Well, um, I started my journey to become a pilot when my children left home. I found that everything that I did fun and interesting after 5 p.m. at night revolved around my kids, their sporting events, their social events, even just cooking and, um, you know, being a chauffeur to them. And so I found that for a couple of years, I just threw myself into work. I work all day, come home, have dinner, and work some more at night. So I need—I knew that I needed a really fun hobby that was going to pull me in and um, pull me away from the work. And so I decided to become a pilot. Um, I always thought it was exciting and interesting. And I started in not really knowing if I was going to be able to do it. It seems like an awful challenging Uh, thing to start in your mid 50s. And um, I really liked it. Uh, I found that um, the feeling when you're flying a plane is like the feeling when you turn 16 and get your driver's license and your parents let you take the car. And you're like, the world is mine. I'm going to explore. So I have a Cessna 182, which is if you don't know much about airplanes, it's kind of like the Honda Accord of flying pretty safe, good value, pretty reliable, um, and I fly back and forth um, to Florida, and my one of my most favorite trips is I often take um, friends and Miami, fellow Miamians on a flying trip from
1: Columbus down to Oxford, and we'll just go to the Bagel and Deli. And when when we talked, the last time you and I spoke, you were saying it was hard to get hangar space in Florida. So tell us a little bit more about that. Yes,
0: yeah, So when I first uh, started spending time in Florida, I had to leave my plane in Ohio because that the, there's a very short or small amount of hangar space. So my first year down there, I was on the waiting list for six or seven different airports, but I'm... Very proud to say that I just bought a hanger. So.
1: so so you can start flying to Florida more frequently. That's a good thing. Yeah. So I want to go back to your contribution to the, to the school and the university, and, and you, you're just an incredible alumna and in that you have been willing to give your time and, and talents to the, to the university. More recently, you've agreed to step on and be co-chair of the Business Advisory Council, a, a, a council that you've served on for a number of years. So talk to me, what would encourage, encourages you to be involved, to stay engaged, and now more recently to step up into this position of leadership?
0: So I would say my Miami years were some of the happiest of my life. You're in that um, kind of limbo. You're not quite a child, but you're not quite an adult. Um, And it's really an opportunity to spend some time with yourself saying, who who am I as a person? And um, what do I want to do with my life? And how am I going to get there? And I felt like Miami was just the perfect place for me to do that. And so now... I really am invested in you know, giving back. Uh, one of the things I'm very proud of is that I funded a scholarship at Miami for a farmer student um, in, in financial need, right? And so like that makes me proud. It makes me proud to you know, help establish you know, what's the right curriculum so that students that come out of Miami can be the most successful and the most prepared that they are to take on those challenges.
1: And thank you for the scholarship too, because it, you know higher education is so expensive, and and we look at what we offer our students, and what an amazing set of experiences we offer, and what tremendous outcomes we provide, and 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 we know that it's not accessible to everybody. So we're really grateful, Laurie, for your support. Thank you. So when you think a little, you've talked a little bit about work-life balance as you've gone through, and and, and it's been a theme as as you've spoken, but what does work-life balance mean to you, and how do you strike some kind of balance?
0: I think work-life balance
1: is different every year.
0: You know, I think about the early years of my career, and I wanted to, and I did kind of have my pedal to the metal, right? I would work 16-hour days. I did extra things. But that was before I had a family. And then once I had a family, things kind of changed. You know, I moved to more of a flexible work life schedule so that I could being a parent is like almost a whole second job. Right. And so you don't have to give up your career. But what you have to do is you have to find something that feels like it's a good fit for you. Um, Kind of have to decide what am I willing to give up? in my career. And it's not long-term, it's short-term, right? It's this year. Um, So I always encourage people to look, to see what's going on in your life and make a career decision based on that year or two, Um, because in a couple of years, it's gonna be different. Things change when your kids get in school, you have more flexibility. As they get older, you have even more flexibility. And there's always gonna be things that change in your life, but to remember that your career is gonna be probably 40 years long. And so if there's a couple of years that you need to plateau or step back a little bit to take care of some important things in your life, you're never gonna regret that.
1: It's interesting when I first had our first child, I was living in the Middle East, and a woman who worked with me just had a fifth child, and I was you know, <laughs> I was like, how on earth does she do that? But she gave me one piece of advice that I've always stuck with, never feel guilty about the choices that we make as working mothers because it is what it is. This is just the way our life is, and that's how we live our life, and this is the way we interact with our work and our families, and that's just the way it is. And I thought that advice stayed with me forever, actually. It <laughs> was really important advice. So what I want to I do, I totally now. agree. Sorry, carry on.
0: No, I said, I totally agree. I think you need to make the decisions that are going to make you a happy person. And then you when you are home, you're going to be a happy mom and a fulfilled mom, and you're going to be a great role model for your kids.
1: I think it's, it's so important for the kids to see us fulfilling our own ambitions with, and having purpose and happiness is what I always check in to my children when I talk to them about how are they, I listen, are they happy, do they have purpose and meaning check, check <laughs> and then we move on yeah. So so we've given some advice to our students who might be listening to the podcast, but I want you to think of more advice you'd give and perhaps take it in two parts. So part one would be for incoming freshmen. And as you know, we've got a, a bumper year coming and we've got probably 1,650 incoming freshmen all, all up. So what advice would you give to incoming freshmen? And what advice would you give someone who's been out working for a couple of years and, and, and the second group, really things that they should lean into as they're, as they're building their career and really launching themselves.
0: So I would say for incoming students, I would say try to get familiar with the things that you're best at. You know, what are your strengths, right? Because I think a lot of people either don't know what their major is going to be or they pick something but they're not 100% sure. So as you're taking that first and second year classes, think about not only do I like this subject, do I like the careers that are going to come out of this subject, and you know, do I want to learn more about this subject? Um, and don't just think about checking the boxes on the major you've chosen, but but focus in on that. Where am I enjoying, and where where do I like to spend my time? Um, because I think that it's really important to pick a career that. You get up in the morning and you're excited about going to because otherwise, you know, you're going to spend more of your daytime hours working than you are with your family. And so you want to make sure that that is something that you enjoy. And then I would say for returning students, um, kind of that same thing. No matter what major you picked, you know, what are you going to do with that major? Where are you going to go? And then I also kind of think that it's important to understand that your plan is just your initial plan, right? Because I I like to tell the story when I got out of school, most of the big companies that exist today, Google, Apple, Microsoft, you know, none of those even existed. Netflix, right? All of those technologies didn't exist and those companies didn't exist. So no matter where you see yourself going, what kind of company you see yourself working for, there are going to be opportunities in your career that don't even exist. So gain skills, gain connections, focus on um, things that you enjoy working on and be open to the future possibilities.
1: I love the way you frame that because if someone had told me, when I was a recent graduate, that you'd have a PhD and one day you'd be living in America running a business school. I'd say, absolutely no way. So it is interesting how these twists and turns happen and define our careers. So as I, I just want to close out now by, by thank you so much for the gift of your time to allow us to record this podcast. One defining characteristic of the Farmer School of Business is just how engaged our alumni are and how willing they are to continue to find ways to support the school, its students, faculty, staff, and other alumni. So thank you, Laurie, and go well as you continue your journey beyond High Street.
0: Thank you, Jenny.